Welcome, everyone. This is Michael Blue, and you've connected to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, the podcast, where we are cultivating makers and shapers of culture. Prepare for a riveting time in the principles and practices of the King and of His Kingdom. You are about to be charged, challenged, and changed. I know you're ready. Let's go. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to share with your people. This is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you, Lord, for every professional, every individual who is under the sound of my voice, who is viewing, who is streaming, who is listening, or who will be playing this back. Thank you for him. Thank you for her. Thank you for your hand upon each life. And we ask now that you will be glorified in and through all that we do as we execute the duties to which we have been assigned. I ask you, Lord, that you would let the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God be upon your people. Awaken our ears, awaken our sensitivities and sensibilities that we will not miss moments. And that not only that, but when we interact with people, we will be able to discern what's really on their hearts and how we may more fully and adequately and aptly serve them. We thank you for all of the work that's being done all around us in the kingdom of God. And we thank you for the work that is being done around us in which people are doing kingdom work and they don't even realize it because they don't yet know the king nor the truth of his kingdom. Thank you for the opportunity to help change and reset that. Oh God, we thank you for every individual who is fulfilling the call of God upon their lives. Strengthen them and build them up the more. And we will give you the praise for it now and ever in Jesus' name. Amen. The last time we were together, we were talking about our overall topic, which is knowing one's assignment, our character study, John the Baptist. But the aim is not to study John. The study is to uh, use the lens of John for you and for me to see ourselves as those who have a a, a uh, God-given assignment to complete. And, uh, and we, we bless God for the wonderful example of completing one's assignment that John the Baptist uh, had. He is a wonderful example of a man who was focused on his assignment. And for that reason, we're studying his example. To know John the Baptist is uh, to, 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 to be acquainted with someone who was, to use the overused expression, laser focused on his assignment. And so we have, uh, in order for John to have known his assignment, John had to know, and you must know, his sender, himself, his superior, his skills, his service, his scope, his schedule, his satisfaction, and his successor or successors. And as we have walked through this, we have dealt with knowing my sender, God, knowing myself, a healthy sense of self-awareness, uh, my superior slash system. In other words, I know who my supervisor is. 
and I know how I am to operate within a system. All right. Then there is uh, my skills. Then there is you need to know what your gift set, whatever the gift set that God has uh, placed within your life. Then there is uh, my service. What exactly is it that I am supposed to do as a professional, as a life assignment? And then to know my uh, my scope, to whom am I to render this uh, service? And then my schedule. What is the time frame for me to complete this assignment? And then my satisfaction, what do I get out of fulfilling this assignment? And then certainly um, the successor, who is it who has this assignment after me or who takes the next phase or level of the assignment after me, along with me, overlapping me, but after me. All right. And we uh, we talked about the schedule last time pretty extensively. We talked about the schedule. We talked about the fact that John the Baptist had a schedule that was uh, limited and that John the Baptist schedule and Jesus schedule overlapped. And we find that not only was John a baptizer, but when Jesus came, he began to baptize as well. That takes us to our text today, today in the third chapter of the Gospel of John, the third chapter of the Gospel of John. And if you recall, we talked about the fact that there were those who reported to John and said, hey, John, that fellow that you called the Lamb of God and you baptized him and you identified him, he is baptizing as well. And he has a larger following than you do. He has more people coming after him than you do. What do you say to that? Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say to you in verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. He said, this is God's doing. This is not the work of a man. God is the one who's giving him this favor. And you know what? It would be wonderful if we would decide that that just because someone else's success is not mine, it doesn't mean that it came from Satan. I have seen and I have heard situations in which there's a church that's bigger or a, a, a building, church building that's bigger or some other work that's bigger than the one I'm doing. And I come away with well, they're probably not preaching the truth. That's what it is. They're compromising. They let people live any way they want to live. And we we let that be our default position anytime it seems that someone is being more successful than we are. That's not fair. That's not fair. You do not have to be small to be doctrinally sound. And you don't have to be doctrinally weak because you're big either. It is possible for a ministry to grow bigger and better simultaneously. The early church did. The Bible tells us that in one day, 
120 members became 3,120 members and nobody was compromising. You follow? And the next time we get a number, there are 5,000 being added. That's the original church. They weren't compromising. They weren't doctrinally uh, unsound. They had the apostles themselves with them and they were growing exponentially. And so do not presume that because not only someone's um, someone's ministry uh, in the sense of church, but but your ministry, your your cosmetology or uh, some practice that you have. You don't have to assume that because somebody is prospering to a greater degree than are you, that that means that person has somehow has weak character. All right, because what you what you uh, end up teaching people is that everything God does is a mini, M-I-N-I. -I. Everything God does is little. And that's not fair. Because when we look at nature, when we look in the Bible, what God does is mega, macro, not mini. And if he does the mini, M-I-N-I, -I, he does it with a view to growing it until it has maximum impact. That makes sense. All right. So John is not small minded like that. And, and here's something that's really, uh, here's something that's really a challenge. When, when you become upset, when someone becomes what you made him or her. When you become offended, when a person or a group or what have you becomes what you made them. Why should I as a pastor become disturbed when someone whom I mentored begins to be favored on the regional and national and whatever other stage. Why should I be bothered by that? In the negative sense of bothered, I should be excited bothered, you understand? Can't hardly take it. But if I know that person has integrity and I know that I actually contributed to his or her development, whether they acknowledge me or not, that's not the thing. But uh, I'm to be glad about that. So if someone is doing what you did and learned it from you, if someone is emulating what you have established and they learned it from you and they're not being crooked or manipulative, celebrate it. And if they are being crooked, you can still celebrate their success. You just can't celebrate how they got there. You understand? But you basically keep that to yourself. You don't have to go out, yeah, he all right, but, but he's kind of crooked. No, you don't have to do that. Uh, if, if that is so, it'll come to the surface soon enough if, if the person doesn't repent. John does not have an issue with Jesus becoming. Don't have an issue with other people becoming. Now, you're human. And so it does hurt when you have contributed to people's lives and contributed to their development and they act as if you don't exist or they give attribution to somebody else. 
That happens. That happens. There are people who were were, were raised up in, um, they were raised up in an obscure setting. They had somebody who was a no name, who was a mentor or tutor or spiritual mother, spiritual father. But that person had quality, had grace, and put some things in that mentee, that pupil, that student, that spiritual son or daughter. That spiritual son or daughter makes it big. And because he or she makes it big, he or she becomes associated with others who've made it big, who have big names and reputations. And now, in when 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 he or she is asked, who is your your inspiration, who is the person that shaped you? Tell me your story. They start naming other big names. When the person who really helped shape them is a no name. That's not fair. That's not even honorable. It doesn't make you less to acknowledge that you started from a meager setting, from from an austere and an obscure kind of setting. It doesn't take anything away from you. Actually, it makes your story more dramatic. It makes your story more dramatic for you to be able to testify, I'm from Nazareth. You understand? I'm from Bethlehem. It makes your story that much more dramatic. People expect, uh, generally speaking, generally people, excuse me, generally speaking, people expect people from LA to do well. <laughs> they expect people from San Diego to do well and and and, and Las Vegas and 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 New York, New York and Manhattan. They, they expect those people to do well. But when you are from Chile Switch, when you're from Bug Tussle, you understand what I'm saying? And yet God has brought you to a place where you're making impact on the world around you. That's not a put down. That's greater credit, number one, to God's ability to make something where there seems to be nothing. <laughs> you understand? So uh, I'm saying that to say on your part, on your part, make sure that you always honor from whence you came, but also on your part, never become offended or bothered by the fact that somebody else that you touched is becoming, because that is that is validation of the potency of your touch. That is validation of the power of your mentorship. Now, don't take credit. Oh my, I've got to hurry. Don't take credit for anybody else's success. Don't take credit for anybody else's success. If you're going to be given any sort of attribution, let that other person do it. The Bible says, let another man praise thee and not thy own lips. Be careful, even if you know that you bail them out of jail, even if you know that you help keep their home together, even though you know you paid their light bill or what have you, do not, do not, do not ever divulge that. 
because whatever good happened to them through you, God is the one who did it anyway. It wasn't you. You were just the vessel. I was just the vessel for whatever good. If it was good, thank you, Father. If anything bad, I have to take the blame. But anything good, God gets the glory. Isn't that right? But when you're an honorable man or an honorable woman, you will give honor. Did you hear me? You will give honor. You will give attribution. You won't try to take credit for being a self-made wonder when you know that God used somebody to bless you, to touch you, to encourage you. The lesson we shared in the afternoon, evening session, grace because of grace. In other words, people celebrate the grace that's on your life, but they don't realize that the public grace that's on your life is because of a private grace that was on somebody else's life and they poured that private life, uh, that private life, yes, that private grace into you and God took your grace public. Amen. Okay. I see where somebody says here, I'll always remember what Bishop and Mother Lewis poured into me. That's good. Your name is not appearing. So whoever you are, give, uh, give uh, StreamYard permission. Um, and whoever the Facebook user is who wrote Grace Because of Grace, same thing. Give StreamYard permission for your name to show because I can't see your name. Now, people who are on the platform that you're on, they can see. I can't see it because I'm looking at it through the StreamYard screen. All right. All right. So John says, this is what was supposed to happen. Dr. Gerard, I see. Okay. Did you hear me? John says, that that's what was supposed to happen. All right. Look at this. Um, John said in verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent, that I'm sent before him. He said, I already told you who I am. Verse 29, he that hath the bride, all right, Pastor Bellman, bless you. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Now, this takes us back to where we were uh, last week when I talked about the ancient uh, Jewish marriage traditions. How many remember that? How many remember us talking about the ancient uh, Jewish um, marriage tradition in which the... Uh, The best man is what we call his counterpart in this day. But the friend of the bridegroom accompanied the bride and the uh, groom a certain distance. And then they went further to their marriage chamber and consummated the marriage. And then they came back. Well, they didn't come back, not immediately. But the bridegroom cried out to the friend of the bridegroom, a marriage is made in Israel. He cried out to the uh, assembled wedding guests in the hall, in the feast hall, a marriage is made in Israel and the party started, okay? So the friend of the bridegroom just waits to hear the groom say it's done. So John says, the fact that you're coming back to report to me what's happening with Jesus and the people, that's, that's, <laughs> I'm hearing the voice of the, of the bridegroom. It's done. It's done. 
and listen to what he said. He said, uh, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. He said, I'm not upset, I'm rejoicing. Then he says, this, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. There's the satisfaction. Fulfillment, satisfaction. John says, Jesus has made it onto the scene. The nation is learning who he is. He's gaining popularity. He's gaining notoriety. He's gaining fame. People are going to see him. They're witnessing his miracles. Oh, I'm good now. One of the great jobs of a great leader is to so lead as to make himself or herself unnecessary. One of the great outcomes of great leadership, one of the great principles held by a great leader is that he or she is to so labor as to make himself or herself unnecessary. In other words, a leader is laboring to work himself or herself out of a job. It's been stated by those far wiser than I, that a leader is laboring to work himself or herself out of a job. And the reason why that is the case, it is because I, or whoever, when I say I, not just Michael Blue, I, the leader, I am supposed to instruct and impart to those whom I lead to such an extent that at some point they're carrying what I put them, put in them to the extent that without me verbalizing it or without me being physically present, they're carrying it and they're engaging with it without having the personality in front of them any longer. Parents, here's the illustration. Your children will always need you. Your children will always need you. Your children will always need you. But as they develop, they should not always need you as they always have needed you. Your three-month-old needs you. When that three-month-old becomes three years old, that three-year-old will still need you, but not like the three-month-old did. And when the three-year-old becomes 13 years old, the 13-year-old will need you just as truly as the three-year-old and the three-month-old, but not the same way as the three-year-old and the three-month-old. And your 23-year-old will need you just as truly as your 13-year-old does. And your 33-year-old and your 50, 63-year-old will need you just as truly as the three-month-old needed you and all those others, but not the same as they needed you. The quality of their need, the aspects of their need will change. At the beginning, they need you for the basics. They need you for the fundamentals. But as they grow on and grow up, 
you've placed the the means by which they can obtain their own basics and necessities. The three-month-old, you must feed. The three-year-old may be able to feed himself. The 13-year-old, most definitely, if he or she's healthy, can feed himself or herself, but you're still buying food for all three of them. But notice that by the time he or she becomes 23, 33, 43, now, even though they, uh, they need you, but they don't necessarily need you to buy the groceries anymore. Now they need you to feed them wisdom, feed them your experience, feed them your listening ear. You understand? So they still need you to feed them, but it's a different level of feeding. I'm simply saying that a leader should labor in such a manner as to make himself or herself no longer necessary, as he or she was necessary, always necessary but not necessary in all the same capacities and in all the same manners. That's what John is saying. John said, I'm not necessary the way I used to be uh, to the nation of Israel. They have Jesus now. They don't need me. See, when I was on the, on the scene, it was just me. But now that Jesus, and, and I told them, there's one coming after me. There's one coming after me. There's one coming at, well, he's here now. And now that he's here, they don't need me the way they needed me. Now, now, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't allow yourself to get into a spirit of self-pity. Huh, they don't need me no more. Don't worry about me, child. They don't need me no more. They don't need me. That's all right, though. That's all. No, don't, don't do that. Remember I told you, they will always need you. It's just that they don't necessarily need you as they once did. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If they walk in honor, they will acknowledge that they still need you. And so we need to train people in honor. But here's the second piece. I must be willing to honor the fact that they don't need me as they once needed me and handle that without interpreting that as a rejection or as dejection or as a put down. Leaders let me be careful. <laughs> Leaders sometimes, and, and rightly so, but it can be convoluted and perverted. I have to be careful. But leaders are often needers as well. Leaders are often needers. What I mean by that is sometimes leaders have a complex where they need to be needed. Now, leaders are needed. But when leaders need to be needed, and when leaders become obsessive about their need to be needed, when you begin to grow from that three-year-old to that 13-year-old to that 23-year-old to that 33-year-old, and you no longer need them the way you used to need them, but they still need for you to need them the way you used to need them, now they can interpret that as rejection. And so we have to be very careful with people who have been there for us because when we finally grow up to the extent that we don't need for them to be some bears where they used to be there, that they don't interpret it as 
I don't need you anymore. I, 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 I got it now, later for you. See, and, and, and some people, some people will take it that way because leaders are also needers and sometimes to a healthy extent or degree. And so there are some of you who don't understand that your growth is at once, at the same time, a compliment to leadership, but can also be a threat to leadership. Because if the leader has not continued to grow and to expand, if the leader has not continued to evolve, then he or she still needs for you to need them or him or her the way that he or she was once needed. I built my life around taking you to practice. I built my life around giving you an allowance. I built my life around my, 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 my schedule being subject to what's going on in your life. And now you don't need me to drive you. You don't need me to uh, uh, supply a, uh, an allowance. You don't, you don't really need permission to do certain things and all of that. That whole empty nest situation that parents go through, it can be traumatic. It can be traumatic because what am I? I've always defined myself as little Johnny or little Jimmy or little Juanita or little Samantha. I've always defined myself as the parent of. And now that they don't need me to be a parent the way that I used to parent them at that phase of their life, what does that make me? Who am I? What am I? That's why the leader must continue to evolve. That's why the parent, that the parent leader must continue to evolve. One cannot lose his or her identity in a function. That's why you don't define yourself by your title because you can lose that title. You don't define yourself by a job because you can be let go from that job. You define yourself by who God says that you are. You define yourself according to who God says that you are. And so as, as a leader, sometimes there can, there, can, there can become friction. There can come friction between the leader and the led, L-E-D. Because the people who you were attempting to teach actually learned. And so if if you don't have any more um, levels of understanding to challenge them to, or if you don't have others to feed as you fed these, there can be that sense of, uh, of abandonment, rejection, lack of appreciation, etc. And so if you are the student in this scenario, instead of the leader, if you're the student in this scenario, even as the leader is being challenged by me not to be insecure, not to feel sorry for himself or herself, continue to evolve, continue to expand. Don't define yourself by your function. Just as that is true, as the student, you 
should at least affirm whoever it is that has brought you so that they never have to question. They never have to question uh, whether or not you still want or need them. 13-year-old, 23-year-old, affirm that parent. Affirm how good, how 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 patient, how uh, long-suffering or what have you, that parent or grandparent or whoever it was has been to you. So that they never have a sense of detachment because the quality of the need changed. You will always need people. If you're in a relationship where there is no need, I'm not talking, listen, 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 listen. I'm not talking about somebody going his or her wallet a pocket. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're in a relationship where you don't get anything from that relationship that makes you better, there's nothing about that person's voice, nothing about that person's perspective, nothing about that person's personality that feeds you in some kind of way. I question the health of that relationship. There's no relationship that's going to be healthy and at the same time superfluous. Are you familiar with the term superfluous? Redundant, perhaps. They're unnecessary. Superfluous is just extra, excessive. Relationships are not built upon superfluity. They are built upon necessity, need. You supply a need. I supply a need. Not necessarily a need for money or for shelter, but I need who you are. And it takes humility. My goodness, I, I've got to close this. Okay. Okay. So, so superfluous is extra. Redundancy is needlessly repetitive. So they're related. They're not identical. But you understand, I think you get the point. I, I, I may not necessarily need you to pay my bills. But I may need you to help clarify my thoughts. I need you to respond to my questions because your responses always bring me to a place of clarity. Even if you don't know the answer, just the way that you respond. You understand? So there's still need. Stop being so haughty. I'm, I'm not talking about you now. I'm just talking about who I'm talking about. Stop being so haughty as to act as if you don't need anybody. Lord, I feel like preaching this. I'm not going to do it, though. Stop that. Jesus needed John. Not to use John, not to manipulate John, not to let John give him his platform and then he's going to brush John off. No, 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 no. But he did need John because God ordained that there were certain things Jesus could not do for himself. John the Baptist has got to baptize him. He has to present him as the Lamb of God. It is written in the prophetic scriptures, Behold, I send my messenger. He shall prepare the way before thee. Jesus needed John. Now, we all know John needed Jesus, but you need to stop and think for a moment. Jesus also needed John. And so it doesn't mean it doesn't matter that one may be less in status than the other in status, not in human value, but in status and in function. We still need one another.
So if I know who I am to you, or you know who you are to me, then when you succeed as my understudy, my pupil, my student, my mentee, my apprentice, when you succeed, you just satisfied me. You just satisfied when you begin to when i when i begin to listen to you and i can hear some of the things that when i say i i mean whoever this leader is not just my go personally and i begin to hear some of the things that i talk when i when i watch your technique and i see some of the techniques that we've shared and and, and you understand and you're doing it with honor that's satisfaction the only satisfaction greater than that is the satisfaction of knowing that god is pleased God is pleased is number one. That's that's the greatest satisfaction. When you know that you've pleased God, that will do something in your spirit that nothing else can do. That's what that's what Paul was saying when he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He's saying, I believe God is pleased with my record. You hear it? So the first satisfaction is knowing that God is pleased. The second satisfaction is to be able to see those to whom you were assigned become what you were assigned to help make them. It is satisfying indeed. Now, we're going to go to material satisfaction or personal gratification as well, which includes compensation. Compensation. God is a God who endorses compensation for work that is done well. Now, everything God calls you to do will not necessarily have natural compensation attached to it. But significant parts of what God has called you to do will have compensation associated with it. And that is another area where some of us in the church have missed it. It's because we've given people the impression that God does not want people to profit That God doesn't necessarily want people to prosper, but so much. I'm going to read an Old Testament text and then we're going to close, but we're going to come back. Ecclesiastes chapter five. We read it this morning, but I want to read it again. Ecclesiastes chapter five. Verse 19 is the one that we will read. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion, listen, and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. God is the one who will cause you to eat of the fruit of your labor. The fruit means the outcome, the results, the evidence. 
Our God is a God of honorable compensation. You're not a work for nothing worker if you're working in the kingdom. I'm not talking about ushering. I'm not talking about directing the choir. That may or may not have compensation. That's not what I'm saying, you know, material compensation. I'm talking about your calling. I'm talking about your assignment. Whatever your God assignment is, is not just something you do for one hour in one spot uh, once a week. I'm not saying that that's not important, but I'm talking about your life calling. I'm talking about the reason why you breathe, the reason why your heart beats. That happens more than an hour once a week. You follow me? And that area of your life, that area of your calling, something in that gift set has a paycheck attached to it. What did you say, brother? I said that something in your gift set, maybe more than one something, has a, has a paycheck attached to it. And ultimately, you may end up being the issuer and the recipient of that paycheck. In many instances, God intends for you to build the thing and let the thing turn around and build you. We'll talk about it another time. But there is satisfaction, multifaceted satisfaction in fulfilling the assignment that God has for your life. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be suffering. That doesn't mean that there will not be adversity. Because if you're doing anything for God, then you're doing it against Satan. And that means Satan is against you. But you can still be satisfied in knowing that though there are weapons that are being formed against me, they won't prosper. Until we meet again, this is Michael Blue of the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals saying thank you. Thank you for being with us. And you go forth today and you leave. You leave now. You hear what I say? That, that's the way country people, that's how Mama Nim would have said. You leave now. You hear what I say, boy? You hear what I say, gal? You go forth today. And youngin, you hear what I say? Go forth today and lead. Make the name of Jesus Christ glorious. Make the career of Satan brief and miserable. Together, we shall bring pleasure to Christ's heart. We shall bring fame to his name. Thank you for listening to the Fellowship of Kingdom Professionals, FKP, the podcast. If you'd like more engagement, click the link in the show notes join like-minded professionals in the FKP Facebook group. Follow us at Bishop M.A. Blue on all platforms. Also join the FKP Weekly Conversation Live every Monday at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Finally, be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. May God bless you until we meet again.